We turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We're taking a short break from our study of 2 Corinthians. Lord willing, we'll return to beautiful fifth chapter next Lord's Day morning. But for this morning, this evening, and then next week, Sunday evening as well, going to have a short series simply entitled The Reformation Christ Alone. 499 years ago, tomorrow, October 31, 1517, relatively young monk posted 95 statements in which he disagreed with the church of that day. Primarily, those 95 statements have to do with the issue of salvation, the centrality of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, when we speak of the Reformation, we speak of the five solas of the Reformation. But really, the Reformation is centered upon the person of Jesus Christ. Reformation is about recovering Jesus Christ, not in the world, but in the church. 490 years, 99 years ago, the condition of the church was that Christ was not found. Oh, it's not that he wasn't talked about. It's just that he was covered. He was covered by years and years of tradition covered by unfaithfulness, he was covered by immorality of the way in which the church lived, he was covered by those who should have been disclosing Christ to their people. And so this morning we begin that journey of going back 499 years and looking at and saying what was it about the work of Christ that that was being covered up. In particular this morning, we'll look at the aspect of the fact that he as Savior was being covered. This evening, we'll look at the fact that he as the great high priest was being covered. And then next Lord's Day evening, the Lord willing, the fact that he as Lord, the head of the church, was being covered. God's word discloses the truth of who Jesus Christ is, even as we were reminded again in that first song of the children, it is the Bible, it is God's word that clarifies for us this truth. We read this morning Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be reading the first 18 verses. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never. The same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. In these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible. 
blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down on the right, at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. By the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for Christ who died for us. We ask that you will be with Pastor Bob as he bring, brings this word to us. This we ask in your name alone. Amen. So what is it that Luther, us, Wingley, Wycliffe, Knox, and Kelvin, the main reformers of the Reformation, what is it that they recovered in regards to Jesus, in regards to the Christ. And from this passage, I, I would have you note three things this morning that were recovered by the Reformation 499 years ago. And I would submit to you, need to be recovered again. That in some respects, these things, as much as they were hid from the people 499 years ago, are also hid in today's church world as well. So there needs to be a recovery, first of all, of the once for all. The once for all. Secondly, there needs to be a recovery of the understanding of the perfected. Of the perfected. And thirdly, there needs to be a recovery of the sanctified. The once for all, the perfected, and the sanctified. Those are three main points this morning. If you look back at the text of Hebrews chapter 10, I invite you to look specifically now at verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Look at verse 12. 
but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. Look at verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The scriptures, the Bible, tells us that it was a single event. This offering of Christ, this giving of himself, was a single event. It happened once. It doesn't happen to need to happen over again. It doesn't need to take place a second time, or a third time, or a fourth time. It happened once. There is a point and moment in history in which Jesus Christ died. And he doesn't need to die again. It's a single event. Go back to Hebrews chapter 7. and Note how it was brought out there as well. Hebrews 7 verse 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Once for all. A single event. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of bulls and calves. But by means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. A single event. Not a repeated event. Not to be offered again. See, in the Old Testament, what, what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's contrasting the death of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus compared to the Old Testament, compared to the law of the Old Testament that demanded daily sacrifices. And that priest had to offer morning and evening sacrifices, day after day, year after year, hundreds, thousands of animals, sacrificed, slaughtered. You got up on Tuesday, what did you do? You offered animals. What did you do? Wednesday, you offered animals. What did you do on Thursday? You offered animals. Over and over and over and over again. But by a single sacrifice, once for all, Christ has put away that sacrificial system. It is no longer needed. It is no longer necessary. The sacrifice of Christ in a single event does not need to be repeated like those Old Testament sacrifices. Now what's that got to do with the Reformation. Well, what the Reformers were seeing happening during that Roman Eucharist, during the Mass, is they were seeing the church in violation of that principle. For the church was teaching at that time that what happens during the Eucharist, what happens during the Mass, is that Christ is again crucified. It happens again. 
over and over and over again. Every time a Catholic priest stood in front of those congregations 499 years ago, Christ was offered to them again sacrificially. It is the sacrifice. That's why their table is called an altar. We have a table. We have a meal. We don't have a sacrifice. 499 years ago, there was an elaborate altar placed in the center of those churches upon which every single day a mass was held, the Eucharist was celebrated, and Christ was crucified. And those reformers 499 years ago said, that may be the teachings of the church, but it is not the teaching of Scripture. Christ died once for all. We don't need to crucify him again. Every Catholic church 499 years ago had a cross. And upon that cross was Christ. Though it no longer was a cross, it was a crucifix. They were reminded every day of the crucifixion of Christ. How? In that celebration. Over and over again. Reformers said, that is not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. So Luther, Calvin, us, Zwingli, and others protest. It's wrong. We need to go back to the Bible. We need to stand alone on the truth of God. Sadly, the Catholic Church had an opportunity to change this belief. After the Reformation, they meet at a place called Trent. And instead of looking at it and saying, you know, these guys got a point. Maybe we better change our thinking. Maybe we better look at God's word more intently. And maybe we should do that. What they said is, no, what the popes and what the church has said down through the ages is correct. We're retaining the same view. And it retains that view today. That is the view of the Catholic Church today. And so we stand and say, no, that's not what God's word tells us. Interestingly, just on a side, there, there was another heresy that actually developed about the death of Jesus Christ. And, and they, the, the, this fellow, his, his name is Soninian, okay? He developed the theory that Christ is not sacrificed here over and over again upon earth, but that happens in heaven. In heaven, on an ongoing basis, Christ is crucified for sins. That was early on labeled a heresy. You know, every once in a while, that heresy continues to creep back in the people's minds and thinking that somehow Christ is still being crucified for our sins. No, it was a once-for-all event, a single event, never, never to be done again. 
why the reformers called that practice and the words of the reformers in regards to the practice of the church of that day was that it was a damnable idolatry. Take note of that. The seriousness upon which that occurred. But there is a third thing to note as well in this recovery of the once for all. And that's the fact that, that as you scroll down in, in this passage, we have the, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What's the significance of that? Well, the significance is, you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter, we see the opposite happening. Deuteronomy chapter 18, if you go to verse 5, you read the following. Talking about the, the right of the priests and Levites, and it says, for the Lord your God has chosen him out of all of your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons for all time. Those Old Testament priests were chosen to stand. Hebrews said, Christ sat down. Now I want you to go back. Think of the, think of the Old Testament Think of the tabernacle. Think of the temple. There are objects and pieces of furniture there. In the front part of the tabernacle and temple, called the holy place, you find three pieces of furniture. You find tables of showbread. You find a lampstand. And you find an altar of incense. Inside, behind the veil, which is where we'll go tonight, is the most holy place. There, dwelling between the cherubim, was the Shekinah glory of God, the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark is a lid called the Mercy Seat, not because it's a place to sit, but it is because it is a place where mercy is found in the sprinkling of the blood. Notice, there is no place for a priest to sit. There's no chair. There's no couch. There's no bed. Why? Deuteronomy 18.5. A priest could only stand. Standing is the sign of the work was incomplete. The work was unfinished. There was more to do. Sitting is the sign that it is done. Christ offered himself once for all, never to be offered again, and he sat down. It is finished. It is done. The work of salvation is complete. That's why the reformers, as well, had to recover that word perfected. Now we're at verse 14. For by a single offering, what occurred? By a single offering, he has perfected for all time. Just stop and consider that a minute. What, what does that mean? That, that by his one sacrifice, 
Jesus perfected for all time. Well, in our, in our theological jargon, we might say we are justified. We are made right with God. That's what the idea of we are perfected means there. That we've been justified, that we've been cleared of our sins, that we've been cleared of our guilt. There is no more guilt held against us. Are there consequences to our sin? Sure. Are there effects of our sin that we have to deal with in this world, in this life? Absolutely. Let us suppose the following scenario. Let us suppose that uh, an unbelieving young man last evening has a tragic accident out here at the corner of Arthur and 24th. He's an unbeliever. He was driving drunk. He was intoxicated. Hits another vehicle, right? Other people are okay, but he is now paralyzed from the waist down. Because he lives in the community, one of the folks from the community calls church and says, do you have a pastor who'd go see him? So I go visit the young man in the hospital. There we talk about what happened and his drunkenness and the sin of that and his life and being without Christ. And perhaps through God's mercy, through God's grace, this young man comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. There in that hospital bed, he confesses his sin. He acknowledges Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Is he still paralyzed? Why? Because we still deal with the consequences and effects of our sin, but not the guilt. We are set free from the guilt of our sin. Do we still have to deal with consequences of our sin? Still deal with effects? Absolutely. But by a single sacrifice, he has perfected us. He has justified us. He has made us right. He has cleared us of condemnation. Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. No eternal guilt for us to bear. See, this is what Luther was wrestling with. This is what begins 499 years ago, the Reformation. He's wrestling. He's doing all the tricks of that the Catholic Church is teaching him. He's trying to do all these works that the church says was necessary in order to work out your salvation because the death of Christ was not enough. And, he, and he's wrestling. He, he can't come to peace of mind. There's got to be more. Digs into God's word. Begins reading the B-I-B-L-E. He begins reading God's truth. Rather than that which the church has taught him. He goes to God's word. And he discovers there. In the book of Galatians, these words, turn with me, please. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Fifteen. Galatians 2.15. 
We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Continue on into chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. The law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is writ- for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. How am I justified? Through Christ. I am perfected through Christ. Through his single sacrifice. Justified. No more guilt. Forever. Never again. For the believer in Jesus Christ. Never again. Does their guilt rise up before God. I remember their sin no more. The guilt of your and my sin is gone forever. So the reformers again looked at the teachings of the church of that day and said, something isn't right here. Because our church is teaching us That after we die, we need to be purged from more sin. The church is telling us that we need to be cleansed from more sin. How can it be that I need to be cleansed, that I need to be purged from sin, if I am already perfected? Was Christ's single sacrifice not enough? Did it not finish the job? Did it not complete the job? If so, then the word of the Lord in the book of Hebrews is a lie. No, we know God's word is true. It was the teaching of the church regarding purgatory. It was Tetzel's selling of those indulgences that you could simply pay money and that would shorten your stay in that place that the Catholic Church invented called purgatory. It was the money-making scheme of you donate money in the name of Fred and that way Fred gets out of purgatory earlier. Or after Fred dies, you go to the Eucharist held in his honor. That gets him out of purgatory sooner. But he's still going to be there and he still needs to be purged of his sins. And the reformers said, no, no. God's word is that by a single sacrifice, we have been perfected. Not will be perfected, 
not are going to be perfected, not might be perfected, but past. The done deal. We stand before God. Holy. Without sin. sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Grace. Jesus stretched out. And that's what the Reformation of 499 years ago was all about. The recovery of that understanding of perfection. Got a feeling you're still not there yet. Feeling that a lot of the church today is still under this fog of judgment. Still are seeking, living under guilt. Maybe that's you as well. Maybe you're thinking right now about past sin. And you're feeling guilty over those. Because of Christ's single Thirdly, there is the recovery that verse 14 reminds us again out of this passage from Hebrews of the sanctified. Go back to verse 14, Hebrews chapter 10. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And that needed to be recovered as well, that word sanctify. Hey, you could you say, well, what does what what is sanctified? Let's let, let me put it this way. Sanctified could be as as I put it in letter A underneath, it's it's made holy to live holy. We we've been perfected in order that we might live from day to day a holy life. The epistles call this. As you read through the New Testament, this is what the epistles mean by living by the Spirit. It means living a holy life. It doesn't mean living some mystical life in the Spirit. It means living holy. What does that mean? It, it means to be set apart, to live apart. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, the first couple of verses, that we're no longer to be conformed to the pattern of this world. But we're to live transformed lives. We're to live changed lives. See, the people of Israel in the Old Testament served for us as a shadow. They served 
before us as, as God's foreshadowing of his work in Jesus Christ. How did God foreshadow this holiness of the people? He said, listen, what I want you to do is this. I want you to take your, your male children, eight days old, and to circumcise them. Because that will be a physical reminder of the fact that they are set apart as my people. I want you to not trim, men, the corners of your beard. I want those dreads to grow. Why? So that everybody will know. Isn't that a Jew? Yes. That's one of God's people. Look at the way his hair is. He told them the certain types of clothing they should and should not wear. He told them certain foods they should and should not eat. He gave them sacrifices. He gave them days of feast and festival. He gave them the Sabbath and said, look, by doing this, you will show yourselves to be my separate people. This is not what the Egyptians are doing. This is not what the Babylonians are doing. This is not what the Phoenicians are doing. This is not what the Philistines are doing. This is not what the Hittites are doing. I want you to live as my separate people. Paul in Romans 12 is saying to us, I, don't, I want you to live as my separate people. I want you to live a holy life. What does a holy life look like? It's a life living by the Spirit. It's a life not of anger, but of love. It's a life not of revenge, but of compassion. I want you to live life in this world, not like the world lives. How does the world respond when it's wrong? How does the world respond? You are to live by the Spirit. You are to live a holy life. You are my set-apart people. I baptize you. I set you apart. I put my name on you. Now live like my people. The problem was 499 years ago, you couldn't tell the difference. You couldn't tell the difference between those who went to Mass every single day and those who cared not at all about God. They lived the same kind of lives. Their priests were as immoral as the people of the society. Their popes were as immoral as their priests as they were as the secular rulers of the day. There was no holiness in the church. From the top down, there was no holiness. Nor from the bottom up was there any holiness. It was all just about going to that mass, taking the mass, and that's all it was. Well, why? Because every time I go to the mass, I have sins forgiven. Well, hey, if I'm going to go to church tomorrow morning... And I'm going to take the Mass. Whatever I do from now till tomorrow morning is forgiven, I might as well go out and get drunk tonight because tomorrow it'll be pardoned. I might as well go out and live an immoral life tonight because tomorrow I'll take the Mass and it'll all be gone. And that's the way they're living. In a single sacrifice, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Those who are seeking to live and are living more and more, not as the world lives, 
Not as a, hey, if I'm a Christian, all my sins are forgiven. Doesn't really matter the way I live. No, that's not the sign of somebody who is sanctified. If that's not the sign of somebody who is sanctified, that's not somebody who is perfected. That's not somebody who is justified. That's not somebody for whom the single sacrifice of Christ has been offered. The single sacrifice of Christ is offered for those who are justified, who are seeking to live holy lives. You know when they do surveys and statistics, there is absolutely no distinguishing difference between the morality of the people of the church of Jesus Christ today than the world. How can that be? Less than 490 years or 99 years ago, church was simply some sort of rite and ritual that you went through, but it lacked my friends, the dirty little truth is this: leaving the world is such a mess. Because the church is such a mess. The church, and I don't mean little I mean is the church on the whole. Lives the dishonest life. Lives the immoral life. Lives the flippant life. Lives the callous life. Lives the decadent life. So is it any wonder, my friends, who we have a choice of to lead our nation? See, rather than Hooing that what we need to be doing is repenting. Lord, help me to live the sanctified life that you've called me to live. Help me to live in a set apart way. Help me to live in a way that it's distinguishable that I am your person, that I am one who has been perfected by the single sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, help me live by the Spirit, by your Holy Spirit. Let Him lead, let Him guide in the truth of your Word. Help me to live in a distinguishable way from the world. I don't care about the salvation of those who do not believe. Help me not seek revenge, but help me to live a life of compassion. Help me not to live a life of being scared to share the message of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, help me not to hide my light underneath a basket. Help me to shine with the glory of Jesus Christ in this world. Lord, help me not to lose the saltiness. But help me to have a distinguishing impact in this world and in this society. Help me to be reminded daily in the decisions I make that I am made holy to live holy, that I am set apart to live apart. That I've been called by God's amazing grace to glorify That I am one of those who has been called out of darkness into his marvelous light that I might declare his praises. That I might be reminded that which the reformers recovered in the day and age of 499 years ago, that all of life is sacred to God, and that all my life is to be lived sola di gloria, to the glory of God alone. Believers, it's the church of Jesus Christ. Those who declare his praises in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for being gracious and raising up those men of the Reformation, those individuals who followed men and women and children, who saw the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for being gracious. Thank you for your providence that over the course of time and history has worked itself out so that we, Father, we, Father, are the inheritors of that great blessing of the Reformation, that we today might open up your word, that we might recover again those true and glorious teachings of the truth of Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our High Priest, and as our Lord. Oh, Father, we pray. Oh, how we pray that we too might be faithful in communicating these to our children and to the generations yet unborn. That we might be faithful, Father, in living that called out life of holiness so that we, Father, might indeed make an impact in this society for your glory, for your honor. Lord, when the night is the darkest, the stars are the brightest. Lord, as you give to us this glorious opportunity as the church, as individual believers, may we shine with the glory of our Redeemer. In whose name we pray and God's people say, Amen.